thank you for that beautiful offering in music. That was beautiful, amen? Amen. Uh, this morning, it's an honor and a privilege to speak before you all this morning. And for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Pastor Jonathan Min, and I am currently one of the intern pastors here at this church, as well as a part-time intern at the Lake Union, uh, helping out with communications. So it's a blessing to be able to uh, preach the Word of God before you this morning, and I'm sure that as we come away, uh, we'll come away with precious insights on how uh, we are to live today. Uh, so before, before that, uh, let us begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to come into your house today. Lord, we thank you for this precious opportunity that we have to experience the transforming power of your grace in our lives. And Lord, we just want to ask, Lord, humbly that you please guide us now in the study of our word. May you open our hearts. May you grant us the gift of your Holy Spirit that we might be able to see as you see, to hear as you hear, and that our hearts might be open to your leading and guiding in our life. And so for this, we ask, Lord, humbly that you'd wash us in the blood and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning and happy Sabbath. You know, beloved, it's important for us to realize that in the times that we live in, uh, if I could summarize it in one word, I believe the word would be polarized. Polarized. You see, beloved, it's easy for us to, to, or when we go to the news or the media, it's not hard for us to see that our, our nation is very divided and that there's polarization between many different people groups. It's not just in our nation, but it's in our world as well. And it's important for us to understand that as if we are to reach a lost world, we need to understand who we once were, who we used to be, who others still are, and who God is calling each and every one of us to be today. This morning, we'll be studying the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians, chapter 2. You see, it's important for us to understand the historical context or the background in which Paul is writing this letter to the church. You see, the, the ancient city of Ephesus was the most important and largest cities in the Roman Empire. It was located near a coast and had many harbors, and because so, it bustled with trade and business. Of course, along with this brought many different types of people uh, with their varying cultures, with their varying worldviews and religious beliefs. So Ephesus was in some sort a religious, not just a cultural melting pot, it was also a religious melting pot as well. We read in the book of Acts chapter 19 that the goddess Diane was one of their prominent idols of the time. And amongst the idol worshipers, there were also many Jews. In contrast, 
they served one God in contrast to the many other gods of the time. And so consequently, we can know that the Jews were not well liked. So when Paul comes to Ephesus, he ministers there for three full years. And it's during this time that Paul breaks the power of spiritualism. As we read in the book of Acts chapter 19, we see that there are many stories through the miraculous healings of Paul that uh, people will come and they'll touch his handkerchief or they'll touch his apron and the evil spirits that they used to be under control of will leave in the power of Christ. And so because of that, thousands became followers of Jesus. And it spread even more so to the surrounding cities of Asia as well. And so even after Paul left, the church began to grow rapidly, even more so among the Gentile believers. However, even though they became Christians, many of the Gentile believers had a hard time uh, letting go of the wrong ideas of their past. Some of them are fear of the spirits. You see, the state of the city of Ephesus was such that when you read the account in Acts chapter 19, the state of Ephesus was so that there were men and women under the control of Satan. Many of them were demon-possessed. Many people practiced witchcraft and sorcery, and that was the state of Ephesus. So naturally, the Ephesians were people who lived in fear of the spiritual realm. They also had a hard time letting go of former ideas of who they believed God to be. You see, for the Ephesians, God was someone who was out to get them. For the Ephesians, God was someone who they had to sacrifice and offer to in order to appease the anger and the wrath of their gods. So the concept that there's a God who is kind, that there's a God who is merciful, is something that's completely new and radical for the Ephesians to believe. They also, many of their gods, were physical, tangible beings. They could see the idols whom they were worshiping. So for them to believe in a God that they can't see, that was hard for them. Another thing they, for, they had a hard time letting go of was their old lifestyles. You see, many of them were practicing uh, immorality sexually, and because of this, it degraded the state of society around them in the name of religion. Along with this, you mix Jews and Gentiles together, and there's, uh, it, it's, no, it's not hard to see that there would be apparent animosity between the two groups. And beloved, similarly, many of us today come from a variety of different backgrounds, cultures, worldviews, and just like Ephesus, America is known as melting pot, some places more so than others, some places less. With all of this in the mix, it's very apparent today that there's bound to be tension, as we see so today, and conflict. And the question is, how are we to relate to a lost world who is so opposed to us and our values? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. 
as we begin our study, it's important to know that Paul will write in chapter 1, verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. In other words, he's speaking to Gentile believers. And Paul here is reminding them once again of who they used to be. Verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So the Bible tells us that the Ephesians were once dead in trespasses and sins, and there was absolutely nothing that they could do to change their condition. You see, a dead person can do absolutely nothing about his condition. A dead person has no choice over whether or not he or she wants to live again. That's not up to them. A dead person is simply just that. He or she is dead. And so we too, just like the Ephesians, were once dead in trespasses and sins, utterly helpless to do anything about our condition, but until Jesus came and spoke the word of truth into our hearts, he did so to Lazarus, he did so to the Ephesians, and he can do so for us today. And so, are we willing today to say, Lord, speak the word only? Because, beloved, if we're to win a lost world, we need to remember that just like them too, we too were dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible tells us that the Ephesians were dead in trespasses and sins. Praise God that Jesus has power to give new life. Can you say amen? So they were once dead, and when Jesus comes into their life, they now have new life. Verse 1 and 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So basically, what Paul is saying here is that they used to be dead, they used to live according to the world, but who is this prince of the power of the air? Beloved Jesus says in John 14, 30, I will no longer talk with much with you, for the ruler or the prince in the King James of this world has come. And so we know this prince to be Satan, and the Bible tells us that the Ephesians used to live under the power of Satan. Remember, the Ephesians were those who were living in constant fear of the spiritual realm. And if you turn with me in Acts chapter 19, we begin to get a clearer picture of this fear. Acts chapter 19 starting from verse 11. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out from them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists 
took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Who are you? And so the, the story will go on and talk about how uh, the demon-possessed man will then go on to overpower those Jews who were previously trying to exercise um, that man. And what happens is the Bible tells us that through this act, fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who be had believed came confessing, telling their deeds. Also, many of those who practiced magic burnt their books together and burnt them in the sight of all. Verse 20, so the, word, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So what's happening here in the story? What's happening here is that Ephesus, a state of rampant spiritual activity, when Paul comes to minister, he leaves such an effect that when, um, when a man is being exercised from demon possession, that same spirit will actually acknowledge the power and authority of Jesus. And so the, the, those who used to practice sorcery, witchcraft, magic, they come and they burn their books. Why? They realized that they used to, they, they used to worship or serve under the powers of darkness. These were people who served the powers of darkness. But when they hear the story of how even the evil spirits would acknowledge the power and authority of Jesus, what happens? They burn their books. They burn the things that they used to do. Why? Because they know that they no longer want to serve a defeated foe. They want to serve this new Jesus who has power over the powers of darkness. These were the Ephesians. And so if we turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul will make sure that the Ephesians not only recognize who they used to be, but who they used to work for, and that Jesus is much more powerful than the powers of darkness. Amen? He'll tell them here in chapter 1, verse 19 and to 21. Chapter 1, 19 to 21. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Paul is saying here, the same spirit that brought Jesus from the dead, when Jesus resurrected, he went to heaven and God placed him in a role where he is now seated at the right hand of God. And notice here in verse 21, the word principality. Jesus is stated here as, being, as having uh, power 
far above all principality. What does the word principality mean? The formal definition means a state ruled by a prince. A principality is a state that is ruled by a prince. And we learned earlier that Satan was the what? The prince of this world. So in other words, the Bible is telling us when in chapter 2, it talks of the prince of the power of the air, the Bible here is telling us that there is a king of kings, that there is a lord of lords seated at the right hand who has power over earthly kings, of rulers, and especially over the power of Satan. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus has complete power and authority over that which the Ephesians used to fear. We see this many times in the New Testament. The demons would acknowledge the power and authority that came along with Jesus. In fact, they would even obey his word. If you remember the story of the, the, the pigs that were possessed with the demon or began to be filled with the demons, Jesus actually told the demons to go elsewhere. And at that very word of Jesus, the demons obeyed. So that tells us that Jesus has complete power and authority that even the powers of darkness recognize. What is my point? Beloved, we need to remember that just like them, before we came to Christ, we too were under the power and rule of Satan, but that Jesus has power and complete authority to take back souls from the prince of this world. You see, beloved, there's no power, there's no besetting sin, no uh, wrong trait of character that burdens us so much that Jesus cannot free us from today. Amen? Jesus has complete and power, power and authority. He did it for the Ephesians, and he can do so for us today. So the Ephesians, they were dead in trespasses and sins. <clears throat> they once lived according to the course of this world. They once used to uh, live under the rule of the powers of darkness. But now, by God's grace, they are not where they used to be. But Paul will here mention that there are still many others where they used to be, where they used to be. And so there's a work for us to do. Notice in verse 2 and 3, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also, what is the next word? We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. What's the next phrase? Just as the others. Just as the others. Notice how Paul writes these two verses. Among whom we also. Okay. We're by nature just as the others. What is Paul doing here? Paul here will make sure to be specific that he includes both the Ephesians and himself with those not of the faith. 
Why is Paul doing this? Paul was a Jew's Jew. He was considered to be the apostle of the apostles. This was, uh, uh, you could say, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Why would Paul take the time to intentionally include himself amongst the unbelievers? You see, beloved, the reason why is because Paul realized on that road to Damascus that salvation was not because he was a Jew. Salvation was not because of any good deed that he had done. It was not a birthright. It was not something that you could earn or merit. Salvation was something completely and entirely by the grace of God alone. And so the same way that Jesus saved the Ephesians, showed them grace, who are supposed to never even experience this, he can do so for us today. Can you say amen? So Paul realized, and he added himself in the group. He realized that because they too have once been where they've been, that it was only because of the riches of God's mercy that they are where they are today. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Beloved, the Bible tells us that God is rich. Now we know that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and um, he can provide for us whenever he feels or needs. But the Bible is telling us that he's rich in something else other than material wealth. The Bible tells us that God is rich in mercy and beloved, where would each and every one of us be today if God had not shown mercy? Where would the Ephesians be if God had not shown mercy? Where would Paul be if God had not shown mercy? Certainly not writing this book. Certainly not writing the many other books that comprised uh, the, the New Testament, of which most he wrote. Or you could say around a fairly good amount. Where would you and I be today if God had not shown us mercy? We would still be in our lost state. So the Ephesians were dead. The Ephesians used to live according to the course of the world. They used to serve a different master, the same spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. And now, God calls them to be a new creation in Christ. And so we've been there. Just like the Ephesians, we've been there too. We've done that. Some stuff that shouldn't be named. But there's still the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. And God calls us to recognize who he wants us to be. Because you see, beloved, if we are to win a lost world, we need to recognize who God is calling us to be and um, consequently who God can then make us to be. If we are to win a lost world, we need to understand who God is calling us to be and who he can in turn make us to be. 
So who is God calling us to be? Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together. What's the next phrase? In the heavenly places. In who? Christ Jesus. So the Ephesians were resurrected and now they sit in heavenly places in Christ. Now we're all familiar with the idea of the resurrection in the life of the believer. Someone before they met Christ, they were dead in trespasses and sins. They have this powerful conversion experience. They come to God, they hear the word of truth, and it sparks a fire in their hearts, and they give their lives to the Lord. And they experience a radical transformation that many others can see around them. It's evident that God has, has uh, worked his power to change their lives. So we're familiar with the idea of the resurrection in the life of the believer, from death to life. But beloved, there's a higher plane for us that God is calling us to recognize. Notice in verse 5. It tells us that when God raises, raises us up together, it is not left there, but we then sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In other words, what the Bible is telling us when we experience the grace of God in our life, there's a role that God then places us, each and every one of us, to be in. There's a specific role that God wants to place us in. Now in this context, this phrase, sitting in heavenly places, is also mentioned in chapter 1, verse 20, and it reads, which he worked, speaking of God, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So we see the same phrase. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Now what does this mean about the role of Jesus? Right? What does it mean that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. What does this mean about his role? Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Paul, writing to the Romans, will write here, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes, what's the next word? Intercession for us. So Jesus is seated at the right hand, and he's interceding on behalf of his people. In other words, Jesus is fulfilling the role of a priest. Jesus is fulfilling the role of a priest. And so just as God resurrected Jesus and appointed him to priestly ministry, what Paul is wanting the Ephesians to understand is that they too were being called to their priestly roles in Christ. Each and every believer who has experienced the transforming power of his grace. Beloved, have we experienced 
the forgiveness of God in our lives? Have we experienced his pardon, his grace, his mercy to transform us from where we used to be and where, consequently, where he uh, places us today? If so, God is calling each and every one of us who has experienced the transforming power of his grace to be priests and priestesses in our own respects. This is our new identity. This is our new calling. And this is who God is calling us to be. But is it by ourselves? How are we to fulfill the role of a priest? Ephesians chapter 2. Turn with me back to Ephesians. Paul will make sure that they realize that now that they've realized their priestly roles, their calling to priestly ministry, Paul will make sure that they understand that nothing that they did was of themselves. He'll write in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his, what is the next word? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So according to this text, God is the one who is actually working the good works in us. In other words, he's creating us just as a carpenter works on his craft. He's creating us to who he wants us to be and who he's calling us to be. So the Ephesians were called to be priests. We too are called to be priests. Every one of us who has experienced the transforming grace and power of Christ in our lives, God calls each and every one, one of us to fulfill this priestly role. Now what does this look like for us today? What does it mean that a man or a woman should be called to be a priest? Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Here, Abraham is interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, a city that was doomed to be judged by the judgments of God. Abraham here fulfills the role of an intercessor. Genesis chapter 18, verse 22. If you're there, say amen. amen. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it? For the fifty righteous that were in it, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham here is clinging to the hopes of God's character in intercession on behalf of his people. God will then say in verse 26, So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the places for their sakes. 
And so Abraham and God will then have this conversation, and Abraham will keep continuing to dial down the numbers. He'll say, Lord, okay, what about 45? What about 30? 20? And he'll boil it down to 10. And so at 10, when it gets to 10, he says here, God says here in verse 27, and he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Beloved, Abraham was interceding for Sodom. Sodom was doomed for judgment. It was doomed to be wiped out. But we see here a picture of Abraham praying and interceding on behalf of this lost nation. Writing in Eternity Past, Ellen White will write, Abraham's prayer for Sodom shows that we should cherish hatred of sin, but pity and love for the sinner. All around us are souls going down to ruin. Every hour, some are passing beyond the reach of mercy. Where are the voices of entreaty to bid the sinner flee from this fearful doom? Where are those who are pleading with God for him? The spirit of Abraham was the spirit of Christ, himself the great intercessor in the sinner's behalf. Christ manifested toward the sinner a love which infinite goodness alone could conceive. And in the agonies of the crucifixion, burdened with the awful weight of the sins of the whole world, he prayed for his murderers. He interceded for those who would then crucify him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The subtitle of the chapter is called, Who Prays for Sodom Today? Who prays for Sodom today? Beloved, it's very apparent that the state of our world is becoming more and more like spiritual Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not hard for us to see. And Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 24 that because uh, iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall do what? Wax cold. In other words, it's going to be hard to love your neighbor. It's going to be hard to love that, that person next to you. It's going to be hard to love a world who is so directly in opposition to you and your values. It's going to be hard. And Jesus tells us, he that endures until the end, the same shall be saved. But who will pray for Sodom today? Who, like Abraham, will manifest the Spirit of Christ in intercession on their behalf? So how are we to relate to a lost world today? You see, beloved, to reach a lost world, we need to remember who we once were, who others still are, 
the riches of God's grace and his mercy toward us and who he calls each and every one of us to be. So in closing, let us turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This will be our scripture reading this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. And the Bible says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, uh, the Jews had a name for those who were not like them. They called them the uncircumcision. Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, very near, even nearer than when we had fallen by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So the Ephesians were good candidates to be intercessors. You see, the Ephesians understood what it was like. The Ephesians knew what it was like to, have, to live in a world with no hope, to live without God, to not have access to the covenant promises, apparently at the time, only for the Jews. You see, beloved, they were in a time where if you were only, only if you were born as a Jew or you were under Israelite lineage, only then is when you could receive salvation, right? So you have this group of people who are saying, hey, let's go to the promised land. You know, we're going somewhere else after we die. But you guys, no, no, no. You guys weren't born like us. Imagine that situation. Truly, the Ephesians were without hope. So we can say, we've been there. And we can say we've done that. But by, by God's grace, he is making each and every one of us who he has called us to be. And he calls others, he calls us to invite others into the same fellowship. But it starts with a reminder. We need to remember that we too were once without Christ. We need to remember that we too once had no hope and were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. He's done it for the Ephesians. He's done it for Paul. He's done it for you and I today. And for those who haven't experienced this yet, he offers it yet still. And he wants to offer this yet to those who don't know him, especially to those who don't know him and to those who may know of God, but they know the wrong character of who God is. So may we realize that we are no different than the, than the next person. May each and every one of us realize that it was solely by God's grace, and we were saved by his grace alone, and our good works are of him, not of ourselves. May we take part in our new priestly roles in interceding 
on behalf of this world that so desperately needs the spirit of intercession. Beloved, the, uh, the Bible tells us that in the last days, the spirit of intercession will be the spirit of God's people. Isaiah tells us that God's people will be sighing and crying for the abominations done around them. And beloved, we need spiritual men and women to intercede on behalf of a lost world. And may God bless us to that end, I pray. Amen.